Well, good morning. My name is John Allen. Welcome to Risen Church. Um, This morning we're going to continue in our series through the Psalms, but before we do, I want to emphasize a couple of things we've got going on in the next couple of weeks. Um, And so the first thing is our baptism class. So uh, next week, we are going to be holding a baptism class for anyone who might be interested in being baptized. Uh, So anyone that is, uh, whether you are uh, if you'd like to be baptized or if you'd just like to learn more about what baptism is, um, then uh, I want to in- invite you to use the QR code on the seat. You can, again, take a picture of it or hover over it with your camera and you can go right to our website or go to our website at risenchurchvb.com and you can sign up for that baptism class. Um, we're going to be meeting again next Sunday, February 26th, after the second service at about 1 p.m. for about 30 minutes downstairs. Um, And so, again, I want to emphasize that. uh, It'll be a great time. Um, And so, also, I want to emphasize the Weekender. So, uh, if you are a guest with us or new, you're probably like, what is the Weekender? That is a strange word. Um, If you have been with us for a while, you know exactly what the Weekender is, I hope. Um, The Weekender is an event that is uh, taking place in two weeks. Say two weeks. So, the Weekender is our on-ramp for Connection. It's actually a way that you can join our church. So uh, as an official partner, we use the term partner because it comes from a Greek word koinonia, which we see throughout the scriptures. Um, It's just our word for member. Uh, And so it's not a pressurized thing. It's kind of, you know, you can come and check it out and you go, okay, well, hey, this might be something I'm interested in in joining or maybe not. And that's okay. Um, But we we do it on Friday and Saturday. So um, Friday, March 3rd and Saturday morning, March 4th, we're going to be having our next weekend on the rooftop of Hangar Law. Um, praise God for their uh, graciousness to us, and that's a beautiful venue. You can actually see the ocean front, or, or the ocean from there. Um, and so we're going to be doing that and sharing a meal together, getting to know each other, um, having a good time, uh, eating, praying, connecting, uh, and just uh, with leaders and pastors in our church, and it, it's a good time. So, um, Again, if you're interested in that, the best way to sign up for that is on that QR code on your chairs. Uh, you can also, again, go to the website, risenchurchvb.com. So, let's dive in. You guys ready to dive in? All right, here we go. So, uh, we're going to be in Psalm 16 this morning. As you heard earlier, we read the passage, Psalm 16. It's 11 verses. Um, but before we dive in there, I want to kick this off with some call and response. So this is one of our familiar call and responses that we do here. It comes straight out of Psalm 118. So, are you ready? Uh-huh. Are you ready? Okay. So I want you to repeat after me, all right? Here we go. Today is the day that the Lord has made. And I will rejoice and be glad in it. Today is the day that the Lord has made. And I will rejoice and be glad in it. It takes three times sometimes, I think, just to kind of like clarify what he's actually talking about. Today is the day that the Lord has made. And I will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. I love that tiny little verse, but it has so many implications for our life. And it's so good and it's so true. Now, for some of you, 
that's an easy declaration to make, even this morning. Things might be going well. Things might be, you know, it's like it's going to be a warm week, it looks like. It's going to be, you know, it might feel pretty good for you. But I, I think for others, sometimes that's a little more difficult, right? Like you might say it, but there's some dissonance in your soul. Like you declare it, maybe you might even uh, agree with it, but you're like, oh, my heart is like, I don't know if I like that. Like it can even feel hypocritical sometimes to say that or to even try to shout that or rejoice in that because of the difficulty that you're going through. And for some of you, I know what you're going through. It's the joy of being a pastor. I get to, I get to walk with some of you through very real trials and very real uh, grief. For others, I have no idea what you're going through, and that's okay. And then still others, even if you explained it to me for hours on end, I still wouldn't be able to grasp it. I couldn't comprehend it. But here's the thing. Even if you're going through something and you feel like no one gets it, there is one who does. He gets it. The Lord knows. God knows. Say, God knows. <laughs> and he knows on a level that you can't even fathom. Like, he gets it deeper than you can even comprehend. He's intimately acquainted with your circumstance. And the truth is, whether you're facing difficulty right now or not, the reality is that in this life, it's coming. Now, I hate to break it to you, if you've lived this life for any amount of time, you know that. Difficulty's coming. As sure as Jesus Christ is coming back. As sure as Jesus is coming, so is difficulty. Unless he comes in the next five minutes or so. Right? Some of you, if you're not facing difficulty now, you will be. Right? Some of you are like, what happened to that positive, like, clappy song? Like, what... Can we go back to that? <laughs> this is depressing. But I want you to see that's actually the point of that clappy song that we just sang. Right? Like that, that clappy song was like, do I even want to clap right now? I don't know. Like this is, you know, he turns graves into gardens. Yeah. Does he? Right? The thing is, is that the reason that song's so joyful in the first place is because we're singing to the only one who can turn graves into gardens. Here we're singing to the, one who on, the only one who can give beauty for ashes. That's who he is. Like, he's the only one who can turn mourning into dancing and shame into glory. And sometimes we hear that and we're like, okay, that's going to happen one day, but for now I just have to grin and bear it. Or maybe not even just grin. Maybe true spirituality is just bearing it. Maybe, maybe to be a Christian means that I just have to be like, it's hard. And I'm not minimizing difficulty. Not at all. But I want you to understand something. And this is what we get out of this psalm. Is that just because you're facing difficulty doesn't mean you should embrace despair. Or give up on joy. True joy. It doesn't depend on your happenstance. That's happiness. Joy transcends circumstance because it goes deeper. 
You see, authentic relationship, depth in the Lord is often cultivated not only when God delivers you from difficulty, but as God delivers you through difficulty. I'm talking about when he gets down in the fire with you. I'm talking about when he walks with you in it. And he brings you through it. And then you realize, on the other side of it, man, I don't even smell like smoke. Like, if you'll let him, he'll transform your tears and ashes into joy and beauty right in the midst of whatever you're facing. Right in the middle of it. And that's what Psalm 16 is actually about. Like, this is a song about knowing and enjoying God in the midst of difficulty. This is a song of joy and resurrection. And, and, and hear this. I, I love this about Psalm 16. Because just like you and I, this is a song that views the resurrection from a distance. Like, remember, David wrote this and sang this song more than a thousand years before Jesus was resurrected from the grave. Like, this is a song about fixing your spiritual eyes on a distant, yet totally sufficient resurrection. And as David looks forward to the resurrection of Jesus, and we look back to the resurrection of Jesus, we all then look forward to Christ's return and our ultimate resurrection and the restoration of all things. This is the context in which we live. And hear this, as we do, we're able to join in with the billions of voices who have sung and prayed this song or psalm which is a song for the past 3,000 years in the midst of all kinds of circumstances. And so this psalm begins with a simple prayer. Psalm 16.1. Right out of the gate. Very simple, extremely profound. Preserve me, O God. And when David wrote this song, he was a young man. I think he was probably about 20 years old, actually. When that's A lot of commentators, we, they believe he was around 20. But even at 20, young man, he was not a stranger to difficulty. Like, he'd already experienced God's anointing as a child by Samuel. He'd, he'd already been overlooked by his family. He had already been delivered by God from the giant Goliath. He'd already experienced multiple victories in battle against the Philistines, which were pretty epic. Go read about it. But at the time that David writes this psalm, he still had a ton of life to live. And many more trials laid ahead. Like, I think back to when I was 20, and I'm like, I was just a baby. Right? And, and, and he, he would, what we see is in, in David's life, he would soon lose his best friend, Jonathan. Probably not long after he wrote this psalm. He would experience deep betrayal from his own son. And he would also experience the blood guiltiness and shame of betraying his Lord, the only one who can, in adultery and even the murder of a trusted friend. Some serious difficulty. Not all of it was his fault some of it was and his life would be filled with victory and triumph but also a ton of grief and sorrow pain and tribulation and so the life of david is actually a testament to the goodness of god not 
hear this, not the goodness of David. The life of David and pretty much, and by pretty much every single biblical figure other than Jesus, their life, your life, is a testament to the goodness of God, not the goodness of you. David's life is a testament to the faithful grace of the Lord who would indeed answer David's prayer of, preserve me, O God. And, I mean, what a powerful prayer. I mean, think about it. When's the last time you asked God to preserve you? Like you probably prayed, bless me. It's a good prayer. Help me, great prayer. Give me, good prayer. Heal me, fantastic. Preserve me? It's often more like, get me out of this situation than preserve me through it. But that's exactly what Psalm 16 is saying. Right? Don't necessarily take me out of this situation. Preserve me through it. And so for the rest of our time, we're going to walk through Psalm 16 and we're going to look at four points of preservation. And my hope is that we don't just apply these points to our lives, but we pray them over our lives and over our church and over our children and over our children's children and over our spiritual children and over their spiritual children from the neighborhood to the nations. You see, the framework here. I've got four prayer points of preservation. You ready? First one is prayer for refuge in the Lord. The second, prayer for God's mission or the Great Commission. And then third, prayer for gratitude. And then fourth, prayer for joy. Okay? So we've got refuge, mission, gratitude, and joy. So this is what preservation actually looks like. This is what holy perseverance looks like. True perseverance, the kind that leads to life and godliness rather than bitterness and burnout or distance and cold-heartedness. Because as we pray these prayers, we also tap into the fulfillment of them. In other words, God preserves us in Christ through perseverance, or sorry, perseverance in prayer. I just made up a new word, perseverance. It's preservation and perseverance, right? And, and that's what I want you to get this morning, right? If you get nothing else, this is what I want you to get. This is what I want you to hear. Because all, oftentimes, hear this, oftentimes we will pray, God, preserve me, but then we won't lean into his preservation in perseverance, so in some ways, that word actually works. No, that's not in my notes, but whatever. Right? Like it's a sense in which we're leaning into his spirit that preserves, and it gives us an empowerment to persevere. And so God preserves, he preserves us in Christ through perseverance in prayer. And so it's not about how often you go to church. I praise God for it, but listen to me, guys. It's not about how often you go to church. It's not about how many times you read the Bible. It's not how much money you give or how often you serve or how many people you share the gospel with. Like, all of that is amazing and glorious and good, but if you want to finish well, if you want 
to run this race well in perseverance and preservation. If you want to run that race marked out for you in Christ, it's going to require loving, joy-filled, and honest prayer. And no, this is not a sermon about whether or not you can lose your salvation. It's a sermon about how we live once we've received it. So first prayer point. Here we go. Prayer for refuge in the Lord. Psalm 16, verse 1 and 2. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Lord, there's nothing better than you. Like this, is, this is a prayer for preservation, but what does he mean by preserve me? What does he mean by that? In you I take refuge. You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. See, David understood that his only refuge, his only retreat, his only hope of preservation was in the Lord. He understood that this life is filled with all kinds of lesser saviors and counterfeit escapes. Momentary coping mechanisms that turn actually out to be traps. Our society is absolutely chock full of them. Pornography, drugs and alcohol, fantasy lifestyles, inebriate and escape. Rather than running to God, we end up running away from him for that momentary thing or whatever it is. I want you to hear me in case you get this twisted. Just understanding this is nowhere close to enough. You can get this intellectually. David understood. He got it. Deeply. He understood. That he writes about it. But even though he understood that none of that was good and it was all a trap apart from God, he was still ensnared by it. King David was not strong enough to preserve or persevere on his own. And yet, God was still gracious enough to answer his prayers and preserve him. Like, and, 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 and how did God preserve David? Like, how does God preserve us through difficulty? Prayer. Prayer. Like, so many of these psalms are David's prayers in the midst of trouble. I mean, even in the midst of his own deep Shame, guilt, and failure. He still turns to the Lord. And they show us then how to navigate difficulty, both when we don't know what to do and when we realize, like David, that we have royally screwed up. And the answer is, in every circumstance, run to God. Take refuge in Him. Even cry out to Him. I love how the psalmists Throughout the Psalms, they teach us these principles. Psalm 126, verse 5 through 6, it says this. You should pay attention to this one because this is really practical, okay? Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home 
with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him, which is like loads of wheat, essentially, and harvest, okay? We're going to come back to this. I want you to see, I want you to get this in your mind, get this visual. And I want you to think about what this means, because most people miss this entirely. But if you get this, it's going to help you to take refuge in the Lord and also fight the good fight of faith. And so we live in a world of extremes, right? We live in a fight or flight scenario. We live in this, this, this world of extremes, and it can be even really difficult um, to navigate our own emotions, especially in the midst of difficulty. So secular psychology, which tends to dominate the landscape, it, it will tell you that your feelings are what matter most. And if you're feeling a certain way about a certain situation, then those emotions are king. And you and everyone around you should bow down to those feelings, right? Like we see this everywhere. Because after all, that's how you feel. And if that's how you feel, then it must be true for you and everyone around you, right? That's dangerous. Like, I want you to see that that's dangerous. But just as dangerous is the opposite extreme because there's another reaction that goes in the opposite direction. And it's typically from dry religion that reacts then saying, it doesn't matter at all what or how you feel. The only thing that matters is what's true. See the reaction? Emotion is meaningless. You should ignore it and deny those feelings completely and entirely. But the Psalms actually teach us a different way. Or as Tim Keller likes to say, a third way. Right? They show us that our emotions are neither meaningless or all-powerful. Like they teach us, the psalmists and the Word of God shows us that we should neither deny our emotions nor submit to them because both reactions are really dangerous. Remember when Jesus warned us in Mark 8, 15, he cautioned this saying, Mark 8, 15, I say 18? Mark 8, 15, and he says, watch out. When Jesus says watch out, you should pay attention, right? Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Remember that a little leaven spreads rapidly through a lump of dough, right? And so Jesus is here warning that a little influence of both and from both secular society and dry religion, which the Pharisees would have represented, can spread. So you've got to be careful and watch out. So then the question is, how should we navigate the inevitable emotions that come from facing difficulty? How do we do it? Right? Because let's be honest, unless you're a sociopath, your emotions are going to be the biggest thing you navigate when you face difficulty. It's going to be your, our biggest struggle. And what we see in God's word is that we are to neither deny and detach from our feelings nor indulge and submit to them. So what are we to do with them? Well, we plant them. We sow them. Like a farmer sows seed in a field, we sow our sorrows in prayer. This is what it looks like to run to God as your refuge. It means to pray your sorrows, to pray your tears even, and to plant them in the Lord. 
Like sometimes men especially may see this as a form of weakness because you've been, you've been taught by society or even potentially training to just compartmentalize those emotions, which then seems to be necessary actually in the moment, right? It's easy in the moment, and then you don't understand why you're having a panic attack at 3 a.m. The best place for those emotions is planted in the soil of the Lord. And while praying your sorrows and tears, it might seem like weakness. I need you to understand and get that the the man who wrote this and demonstrates how to pray our tears throughout the Psalms was probably the greatest warrior of all time. We're talking about King David. Like, you ain't tougher than David. And you're definitely not tougher than Jesus. And both of them demonstrated this kind of prayer life consistently. You see, it's about coming before the Lord as we are, coming to the one who already understands your circumstance and even your own heart better than you do, and then hiding in the only refuge you can ultimately bring about, that, that the, in the only refuge that can ultimately bring about resurrection. It's, it's kind of like snowboarding. I don't know how many snowboarders we have, but maybe you, you've seen snowboarding. I, I used to do a lot of snowboarding in college. Um, and, and if you're boarding down the mountain, right, at a pretty good pace, like, you know, you can imagine going, no issues, it's great, it's fun. Suddenly you hit a massive kicker, which is like a ramp, right? And you get launched up into the air, you know? When you're up there, you're flying through the air, it's kind of like our emotions are a lot like that kicker that launches you into the air. Sometimes it's sudden. You weren't quite expecting to go that high. Right? Now, if you ignore the fact that you've been launched, then you're just going to yard sail all over the mountain. Okay? Which means to wipe out. Yard sail. If you yard sail, the idea, your gear goes everywhere, your boards this way, your gloves are that way, your boots that way, your arms like way over there. Like, what just happened? And it spreads out all over the mountain like a yard sail. That's kind of the image. So once you've been launched, though, you need to understand you can't ignore the fact that you're now flying through the air, but you also can't panic because that's going to produce the same results in fact when you tense up before you wipe out that's when your bones break ask me how i know and so taking our emotions to the lord in prayer sowing our sorrows and planting our tears in christ right in the midst of it is like spotting that transition ramp and sticking the landing It's how we process our emotions and root ourselves in the lordship of our true refuge and strength. And what we sow in tears, we reap in joy. Philippians 4. I love this verse. We see it a lot because it's so practical and good. Philippians 4, verse 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord Always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, even when you're flying through the air and things feel crazy, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Whew. Psalm 56, verse 8. You have kept count of my tossings. You put my tears in your bottle. 
Are they not in your book? That's a man who's cultivated a heritage in the Lord. And and both the Old and New Testament emphasize this kind of honest, raw prayer. Not only does he desire that we come to him, he delights in it. He gives mind to you. He draws near to you. And he even stores up and treasures your tears. Like David's tossings and tears aren't just in David's prayer book. They're in the Lord's. Like God Almighty's prayer book. I love this. Think about this. This is mind-blowing to me. Jesus, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, prayed David's prayers as if they were his own. Like remember the Psalms were Christ's songbook. Remember, Jesus quoted from the Psalms more than any other place in the Old Testament. Like, he truly was keeping count of his tossings and taking stock and bottling up his tears. Are they not in your book? Yes, they are. There's an intimacy there, guys. This is beautiful. See, when we plant our sorrows in the Lord, we cultivate a heritage in him, and the result is pure joy. Like, that's why we don't walk around all sad and depressed all day. And again, hear me, hear me. You need to get this. It's okay to not be okay. I'm going to say that again. It's okay to not be okay. This is a safe place for you. All right? And if you feel like it's not, come talk to me. Right? Okay? Like, it's, it's also okay and encouraged in the midst of that place to receive the joy of the Lord in the midst of the difficulty. Because all our sorrows have been sown into the one who now guards, keeps, preserves our hearts and our minds. And that's when you begin to see prayer as a refuge, not a chore. You begin to run to him just as you are, and you offer those emotions, hear me, in raw form unprocessed like unpolished prayers but guys like that's even that can itself be so difficult especially if you struggle with a view of god that's distant angry or disappointed in you like if that's how you view god then you're going to spend most of your time reflecting on your emotions apart from him in order then to present your prayers in a perfectly polished form to him That's empty religion, guys. See, one of the biggest barriers to prayer in our lives is often this attempt to clean up our prayers before bringing them to the Lord in fear that they'll get rejected because they're not perfect or accurate or whatever. And what ends up happening is you spend all your time processing your difficulty and emotion apart from him, isolated, anxious, and self-oriented. Maybe even searching the scriptures for an answer, but never actually coming to the Lord in prayer, who actually is the answer. And see, David and the psalmist show us how to come to the Lord and plant our raw, emotional, unprocessed tears and fears in prayer. They teach us how to hide in him and cultivate that heritage of intimacy in our only true refuge. And we see that God's response is not just acceptance and approval, but delight and intentionality, intentional care. 
And he treasures those raw moments of honesty. But again, hear this. He aligns those moments of honesty also. Because when we're truly praying these, we recognize when we declare a lie. When you're really praying it, not just reflecting on it, but you're just you're going to him in prayer. Remember, this is not just a vent fest. Venting is not the same thing as praying. Venting is just verbally processing your own sorrows out loud apart from God. But when you pray them, it's like burying them at the foot of the cross and letting his blood soak them in the power of resurrection. That's prayer, man. Like This is what preservation looks like. This is actually the true heart behind the spiritual disciplines. Like time in his word and prayer and fasting and journaling and gospel community. Like This is what it looks like. It's not just about how much you read the Bible. Again, it's about how you let the Spirit apply what you're reading to the depths of your soul. And it's through planting your tears that these truths of God's goodness really get planted deep in there. And when your life gets shaken by this fallen world, you can then say along with the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 6 through 9, this is a great passage, listen to this. You can say along with the Paul and the Corinthians, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. There was some serious preservation happening there. Serious perseverance happening there. So we pray our fears and our tears. We bring our anxieties before him. We articulate them to him. We do it even out loud. We write them down. We sow them. We plant them. And we patiently wait upon him eagerly, faithfully, thankfully. This is how he preserves us. Like you don't have to carry it. You can bring it to him. You can trust in him. And when you do, you also suit up in the spiritual armor of God. Not just as a defensive refuge, but as an offensive attack against the enemy. Remember, our battle is not with flesh and blood, but with powers, principalities, and the rulers of this dark age. Right? There is a battle happening all around you. We're not just checking out and hiding. We're taking refuge and moving forward with a sword in our hand and a shield of faith and a breastplate of righteousness and a helmet of salvation. And our feet are shod with the good news. And it's all tied together with this belt of truth. And what is true? God is for you. He is not against you. If you are in Christ, he has said, let's go. This is how we get in the game. Like, this is how we take the fight to the devil. This is how we get off the sidelines of our own inadequacies and we tap into the power of his presence for his purpose, making disciples who make disciples, which leads me then to my next, or the next preservation prayer point. Number two, prayer for God's mission. Or the great commission. Look at this. Psalm 16, verse three through four. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. I love that. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I'll not pour out 
or take their names on my lips. And it's a reference to the gods that they were taking names on their lips and offering blood sacrifices to. So as we take refuge in the Lord and begin to sow our sorrows in him, we're also going to begin to align with the things that he cares about. The things he cares about most. Like notice that as David crawls up into the Lord's lap, his attention is drawn to the Lord's delight, which are his people, the saints. Right? And so who are the saints? Well, verse 4 shows us who they are not. The saints are not those who run after another god. They are those who take refuge in the Lord. Right? They're, they're those who sow their sorrows in him and build that heritage of intimate relationship with him. And see, the more you take refuge in the Lord, the more you delight even in his people. And also, the more your heart will break for those who don't take refuge in him because they don't know him and are far from him. And notice he recognizes the end of those who run after other gods and those counterfeit saviors. Again, everybody looks for refuge somewhere. Everybody does. In this world, you're going to look for refuge somewhere. And this is the recognition that it's just foolishness to look anywhere but the Lord for refuge. But again, when we think about these psalms, sometimes we tend to, we tend to apply our own hearts onto them and overlay what's going on there. But I want you to like, think about the response that you have to the lostness of our world. Oftentimes we view it from a place of self-centeredness or annoyance or irritation, maybe even anger. Christians also often tend to respond to those who run away from God or towards sin with apathy, anger, or even jealousy. Like, who cares? Let them burn. They're going to get what they deserve, right? Or for some, again, jealousy. Like, maybe you think, if I could get away with that lifestyle, I would, man. But I'm afraid of judgment. All of that is symptomatic of where your heart is with the Lord. But again, that's not designed to condemn, but to become aware and identify that that's not the way of the Lord. Like, he doesn't just see damnable crowds. He does. Make no mistake, he does. Those outside of Christ deserve eternal damnation. So do you, outside of Christ. But in Christ, but for the grace of God, there go I. And so this is not the way of the Lord. He doesn't just see damnable crowds. He sees helpless and harassed sheep without a shepherd, and he sees a harvest. Like we talked about this a few weeks ago. When Jesus sees the crowds in Matthew 9, he's as helpless and harassed sheep without a shepherd. And he tells his disciples that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, so they should pray to the Lord of the harvest to raise up laborers for that harvest. And here again, what's the answer to the problem of lostness? Is it apathy? Is it anger? Is it jealousy? What do we do with those responses to the lost world? What do we do when we even find them in our own hearts and minds, in our own souls, when we encounter that stuff because we sense justice and we love the Lord and we're like, this is not okay. What do we do with that? You plant them in prayer. You plant them in prayer. You take those honest reflections to the Lord who gets it and you process them with him. God, I'm irritated. God, I'm angry. God, my heart is cold toward my neighbor or my boss or even you, oh God. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Plant those sorrows in him and you'll begin to see as he, as you do, 
that you begin to lean in and even cry out for things he desires, he will begin to soften that heart if you'll let him. And what does he desire? Salvation, redemption, and restoration. Like this is the heart behind our who's uh, your one more challenge. We, we kicked this off at the beginning of the year. Like I challenge you to begin praying for one more person who is far from God but close to you. And it might be that you've even forgotten to do that. The reason that you've even forgotten, maybe you, God laid them on your heart and you kind of quit and you kind of like gave up on it a little bit. Apathy. Maybe you're angry because you, you threw it out there and you're just like, they just keep going away. And it's like, take it to the Lord. Persevere in that prayer. And pray for God to change their hearts. So, like Praying for that one more person who is far from God but close to you. One more person who's in our city that you could begin praying for and asking for opportunities to share the gospel and invite them to church and gospel community. Maybe you've seen God doing powerful things. Maybe that person has already come to Christ and those tears of sorrow that were planted in the Lord are now producing joy and fruit. Like, this is the heart of it. When you take stock of the circumstance of the lost, I mean, really take it in before the Lord and with him, it'll break your heart. He'll break your heart because it's what breaks his. And what that, when that happens, we sow those sorrows in the Lord. We plant those prayers for salvation and redemption at the foot of the cross, again, in prayer. And we persevere because as we do, he'll not only begin to move in and through those prayers, he'll also begin to soften your heart for the one and ignite your heart for his mission. So, so who's your one more? W would you sow those seeds? Would you continue to sow those seeds in prayer? Because the greatest joy on this side of heaven is to sow in tearful prayer for the lost and then see them come to Christ. There's no greater joy, guys. I'm telling you. When you tap into it, heaven lights up. And it's like, he didn't need you to do that. He didn't need to invite you into that, but he chose to. Will you receive his invitation? Like, man, that's a serious harvest of joy, amen? And this is what it looks like to partner together in Christ, to leverage our lives for the joy of the Lord and his great commission to make disciples who make disciples. Like, if your life is leveraged for him, it's like, come what may. The only way you can say it is well is if you are confident your life is leveraged for his kingdom. You cannot do, like if you're like, it is well with my soul and you're running after craziness, that's a lie. It better not be well with your soul. But if you're like, man, you know what, God, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not perfect, but I'm trying, I, I, I want to follow you. Like I want to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. And, and trust that everything else is going to be taken care of and everything else will be added unto me. Man, there is a, a depth of comfort in that. And the best litmus test for whether that's happening, if your life is leveraged, is to look at your prayer life. And so we pray for refuge in the Lord, and we pray for his great commission, and thirdly, we pray for gratitude. So prayer for gratitude. Psalm 16, verse 5. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. Verse 6. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. 
I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. So the imagery here is an allusion to the way the promised land was divided up and distributed to the different tribes of Israel. That's what it's talking about. The, the lines have fallen for me in good places, in pleasant places, right? That, that the way of my life, the things that God has decided are actually good. I'm content with it. I thank you. So after their deliverance from slavery in Egypt, God's people were taken through 40 years of a, a season of wandering in the wilderness um, as God prepared them to enter into the promised land. And when they did enter into that promised land, he distributed that land to each tribe with boundary lines. And all of them received land except one tribe, the tribe of Levi. They were the priestly tribe. They were God's priests. And their inheritance was not land. Their inheritance was the Lord himself. Church, you're a priesthood of all believers. You know what your inheritance is? The Lord himself. This is what David actually is claiming in verse 5. He's singing his contentment and satisfaction with all that he receives in the Lord. Even in the midst of difficulty, he's declaring that the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance because he's king. Is that why? Because he's got a bunch of stuff, accolades, great reputation? No. At this point, he's still just a young man when he's writing this. There was a ton of uncertainty about his life. There was a ton of opposition in his, in his world. This wasn't about places and armies. This was about trusting in the Lord. Like at this point, David's got a ton of trial and tribulation in front of him, but his prayer of preservation here is a prayer of trust and contentment. It's a prayer of recognition that all of his desires and all of his joy and all of his needs are abundantly found in the Lord himself, despite the circumstances. Bless the Lord. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel, verse 7. In the night also my heart instructs me. Like why? How could his heart instruct him? Because of verse 8. Because he has set the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Years ago, I was navigating a number of difficulties and was feeling pretty overwhelmed by life in general. <laughs> uh, I, I felt like I was fighting in a battle and praying for God to help me. And uh, that was just one season like that in many, and actually I feel like I've, I've faced probably more intense circumstances like that since then, but this particular season, um, I was in a church one morning, and, and they provide an opportunity for prayer, um, not like, unlike what we do during communion after the message, and so I went up to the closest people near me and, and just asked this elderly couple who was there to pray for me. Didn't really give specifics, honestly, just said, I, I would just like prayer. Prayer's good, right? Prayer's good. And so as they're praying for me, one of them said, stepped out in faith, pretty risky in some ways, but beautifully risky, faithfully. And she said, I have a vision of you hand in hand with Jesus. I was like, I like that, it's a good vision. And you both have swords in your other hand. Holding Jesus' hand like this, you're just kind of, you know, and you're fighting with a sword and you're both fighting with a sword, and, and you're holding Jesus with your left hand, and your sword is in your right hand because you're right-handed. I'm like, that makes sense. I'm, so I'm very right-handed. Yeah, that's right. 
And as you're, you, so, so you're fighting with your right hand, but Jesus is fighting with his left hand because he's holding you with his right hand. I was like, that's interesting. She goes, I think God's calling you to switch hands. Because you're fighting with your strong hand and you're holding on to Jesus with your weak hand. Switch hands. Let him fight for you. Let him fight for you. Doesn't mean you don't fight anymore. Doesn't mean you don't press in. But when you do, you're going to free up his right hand to fight for you. Let him be at your right hand. Switch. Put him in the right hand. That resonated so heavily with me. It still does. And the, the truth is, guys, he doesn't need us to fight at all. He's already won the victory. He's already won, and he's fully capable, but he's invited us to join him in the most glorious mission in eternity. But it's not about us. It's all about him. So place him at your right hand. Trust in him. Cling to him. Leverage your life for his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and trust that all else will be taken care of or added unto you. And plant your tears, sow your sorrows. Cling to him as your source of strength because when you do, you can be sure that you will reap in joy. Which leads me to the final prayer point of preservation. It's a prayer for joy. Psalm 16, verse 9. Therefore, so all of that, all that said, therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. What a phrase. My flesh also dwells secure. It's like he's saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus in on the fact that my flesh also, it's not just my spirit, my flesh dwells secure. That's a strange phrase. What's he talking about? His flesh dwells secure? Like his physical body dwells secure? What's that about? Because your flesh is going to die. Right? Verse 10. Remember, this is Old Testament. Verse 10. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, which is a word for the abyss or death in the grave. You won't abandon me to that. Or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Guys, this is a prophecy of resurrection. Physical, bodily resurrection. First through the Holy One, which we now know to be Jesus, and then for all those who receive the path of life that he paves that leads to his presence where there's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Which incidentally are all at the right hand of the Lord. P.S. Who's at the right hand of God? Jesus, as we're told in Revelation. Guys, this is the gospel right here in the Psalms. God became a man and he lived the life that we couldn't live and he died the death we deserved to die and he conquered death in the grave. I will not abandon you to Sheol. And he paved the way to eternal life and it's an eternal life that doesn't just start one day when we die. It starts the moment we place our faith and our hope in what he did for us through the cross and the resurrection. And he fills us with his spirit and he changes us from the inside out. And we're now called upon to call on him in spirit and in truth, cultivating his heritage in him as we hold fast to him who is at our right hand. 
Isaiah 53, verse 3 through 5, spoke of Jesus 700 years before he went to the cross, saying this. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that has brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Jesus himself took on our sorrows. Jesus himself bore our tears and our grief in himself. And just as our tears are planted in prayer, so Jesus was planted in the ground. He was sown in tears and sorrow, and yet, and yet he was raised in the triumph of resurrection life. Psalm 126, again, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. No one ever has sown in tears like Jesus He was the greatest teardrop sown in the ground. He shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing. He is the seed of Eve, of woman. We're talking messianic prophecy all the way through the Bible. Bearing his feet for stone shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Woo! Guys, I want you to, Jesus himself was sown in tears, and yet he comes home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves, the fruit of his labor, the produce of, the produce of his tearful burial and resurrection with him. That's you. That's you. That's me. And we've been invited into the harvest. To plant so in tears, plant seeds of the gospel and bring others into the kingdom along with the king and rejoice. He's just, I, like, don't get this twisted. Jesus is acquainted with our sorrows and grief. He understands on a level we can never fully fathom, but he is not depressed. He is the God of gladness and joy, triumphant victory and delight. Hebrews 1.9 tells us that Jesus anoints us with the oil of gladness. Will you receive it? Take your sorrows to him. Process your pain and difficulty in him. He knows you. He gets it. He loves you and he delights in you and he provides everlasting joy and delight and gladness and goodness and his face shines upon you. If you are in Christ, his disposition toward you is one of love and gladness. Period. The joy of the Lord isn't something he offers to get you by in this life. It's who he is. It's who he is. Like the God we're coming to in prayer is the most joyful being in the universe. His throne is a throne of joy and gladness and, per- and pleasure forevermore. That's why we want to strip our lives and die to sin. This is how he relates to us even in our sorrow. This is how he relates to us even in our pain and trial and struggle and failure. David wasn't confident in his own ability to persevere in his own goodness and joy, but he was confident in the Lord's ability to preserve him in the goodness and joy of the Lord. This is available to us all today in Christ, to come to him just as you are, to plant your tears and your sorrows and in confession and repentance and receive his joy and gladness in Christ in belief. 
Now, before we close here, and I know I'm a little over, but I can't avoid saying this. Anybody familiar with what's going on at Asbury Seminary right now? What? If you're not, I'll tell you. On February 8th, February 8th, Asbury Seminary in Kentucky was a chapel service, just a regular chapel service. And a guy gets up and he gives a little testimony, no hype, no, no pressure, no nothing, and, and they sing some songs, the choir sings, and, um, and, and it was a, just repentance and faith and the goodness of God and the love of the Lord. And then heartfelt response in worship, and they just kept going. And they kept going. And then nobody left. And they praised and they worshiped. And the sweet presence of the Lord was with them. And they just kept going all night long. And then the next day. And nobody went home. <laughs> well, I'm sure somebody went home. But people didn't go. They just kept going. <laughs> and it's still going. What's the day? The 19th? Starting on February 8th. They praised God and worshiped God and prayed together and they're standing in repentance and people would stand up and they would confess just one or two words. I'm confessing the, the sin of pride. And the rest of the room in unison will go, the blood of Christ forgives you. One man stands up, confesses the sin of adultery. And you know what the rest of the room goes? In unison, the blood of Christ forgives you. And then waves of worship, low hype, unplanned just the sweet presence of Jesus. And it's still continuing. I'm not going to call it a revival because only history can do that. But it's huge. They've packed out that facility and every facility around it and it's starting to pop up all over our nation right now, especially on college campuses. I'll tell you something. I say yes, Lord Jesus. That's what I say to that. Just the sweet presence of God. That's definitely an outpouring of his presence and goodness. Amen? That's where, that's where I, I just want to pray for this as we close here. And I want to pray for our church and, our, and, and I want to pray these points over our church and our city um, and our lives. So if you would, let's, let's stand in prayer. And the band can come on up. God, help us, Lord, put these verses into our prayers. God, help us to put our prayers into these verses. Lord, I pray for refuge in the Lord over our church. For everyone present here right now, for myself included, Lord, we declare you are my Lord and I have no good apart from you. God, there is nothing better than you. We come to you and we look to you and we we. we, we God, we just fall at your feet. And we thank you, Lord. I pray that your spirit would saturate us in our daily lives, not just here, but that we would take it with us and remember that you are with us, that you go with us, Lord. And God, we ask that you would pour out an abundance over our church and your church in Virginia Beach and our nation and the world that you would draw those far from you to yourself. God, I confess this world can be discouraging. It discourages me sometimes. And Lord, we ask, per preserve us, Lord. 
Preserve us with your perspective. Preserve us with your spirit. Preserve us with the goodness of God and the refuge that we can run to and give us gospel glasses to rejoice in what you're doing. God, give us thankful hearts. Give us grateful hearts, Lord. God, thank you that the lines have fallen for us in pleasant places. No matter what's going on, God, thank you that our beautiful inheritance is in you, that you are our chosen portion and cup, that not only have you chosen us, but we look to you and we say, yes, we want you, God. You hold our lot. In your presence are pleasures forevermore. Help us, Lord. Help us persevere. God, preserve us in this. And and Lord, we declare that our hearts are glad, and our whole beings rejoice. Our whole being does, God. Even at the thought of an outpouring of your spirit and worship and repentance, Lord, we say yes. Holy Spirit, we say come. Lord Jesus, we say you are the path of life, and your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so, God, we say come have your way. We say preserve us. We say, God, break down religious spirits. We say break down the fear of man, and we say break down secular strongholds. Spirit of the living God in Christ, we pray, break out in Jesus' name. Thank you, God. Amen.